Well, hello everybody. I'm Greg Wilson, and this is Three Crater Symposium. With us tonight, he firmly believes that it's not gay if you identify as the other sex. It's Lewis Loader. And he thinks Helen Keller was just lazy. It's Josh Arguin. And he's addicted to receiving validation from strangers on the interwebs. It's Dustin Saldivar joining us yet again without a webcam because goddamn he is too sexy to show you his face. He's too sexy for the internet. It's true. The last thing you want to see is my face because it, it will be the last thing you can possibly look at. It's that whole narcissist thing, man. It's true. It's in the Bible. It is true. <laughs> so That's not the Bible. <laughs> That's Greek. Yeah. <laughs> It's the, it's the Gnostic Bible, but you know. Oh, okay. All right, let's uh, let's raise our glasses or my yeti for Yamas, as we do every evening. In vino veritas. In, In vino, vino veritas. veritas. Nice sippy cup, Greg. It's my wife's. I'm lying. It's, it's like a it's like a powder blue. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, Go there's Chargers. some there's an effeminate name for this type of blue. And I can't remember it. Closest I got is powder, powder blue. Robin's yeah. egg. But uh, before we one. get started, I just want to make a public service announcement and give some free advertising to Instant Pot. This is the greatest cooking invention possibly of all time. It is basic. Well, it is. It's a pressure cooker with a timer in various settings and you can do other things with it other than just pressure cooker. But this thing, like I've heard a lot of hype about it online. My wife finally bought one. And for the past few weeks, that's all she's been cooking. You're talking pulled pork that you don't have to put in the crock pot for eight hours, eight to 10 hours. You can do it in an hour. Uh, pot roast into an, in an hour, hour and a half. I mean, it just, it's ridiculous. Like, hard-boiled eggs in like three minutes or something crazy. That's five minutes. Yeah. Five minutes. It's, yep. this thing, dude, I can't it talk rocks. it up enough. I, I've been yeah, eating out on Instant Pot meals for like two to three weeks now. Yeah. Thing's amazing. But anyway, so let's get into Hong Kong. We got the comments open. So comment away. Hopefully they're coming up on my stream. I'll check and make sure that they're all showing up but comment away on all the streams if you're watching on youtube twitter or the facebook's uh we want to hear what you have to say what your opinions are now so let's get started so on hong kong is up until 1997 it was a british colony um that became an special administrative region of china back in, like I said, 1997. So the thing that's a little bit different, and we'll, I'll let you guys kind of delve into the better details. Uh, I know you, Josh, and Lewis, and probably Dustin know a lot more than me about the intricacies in the history of Hong Kong. Um, but it was a British colony, 1997. It um, went over to China mostly. But they enjoy freedoms outside of what the mainland enjoys. And... So they get like, you know, the big one is they get to surf the internet free. You know, they, they don't have all these crazy restrictions. Um, they also have their own legal system. 
And the big thing that happened is that on the 3rd of April, Hong Kong's government introduced uh, plans to change uh, the legislation that would uh, criminal suspects um, could be extradited into the mainland of China. This is what really sparked the protests. And I think it was probably like the, the straw that broke the camel's back here is there were so many infringements that are to slow the slow creep of the communist China into Hong Kong. And Hong Kong's already had a nice long taste of some semblance of freedoms. And that started to go away. And that extradition, they know what that means. When you're extraditing to the mainland of China, you aren't coming back. And they're probably what they're going to do, and this is well documented, is harvest you for organs and do away with you. That's what they do in China. They yeah. throw you in a jail cell. That's, they that's, figure that's, out who's healthy. All right. how? Yeah. Let's check out the organs. What's good? Let's harvest those organs. Um, and I think it's about uh, the thing that Hong Kong has going for, I think about 70 billion, 67 or 70 billion dollars a year goes you know is from made from china i'm made from hong kong yeah um so it's it's a big economic boost to mainland i think hong kong makes more money than the rest of mainland china does i could be wrong on that um Uh, or very very close it's it's the equivalent would be like it would be like if california wasn't part of the union and then we wanted it to be part of the union so basically it's exactly like california yeah and that's what we did <laughs> yeah yeah and think think of it in the in those terms and for the past 22 years um hong kong has served as a free port a tourist destination and a free economic zone for china and what it basically did um if anybody Probably the best illusion, if anybody really knows the the 16th century, is like uh, Wallachia or Ragusa, in oh yeah, which were surrounded by the Ottoman Empire, but they paid tribute to remain as um, basically independent states. And Wallachia, we know as that that's Vlad Tepish's area. So basically, China was tolerating Hong Kong's independence because Hong Kong, because it was a free economic zone, was making so much money, it could basically pay the Chinese yeah. and, and be a, a shot in, into uh, Chinese economy. They would just give Yeah, them- what would they, I mean, and that's the really interesting part I want to delve into here. And Alan's given some comments. We, you know, Alan, I, I think you what you need to do is join us in the chat. And why don't you just join the show? Uh, he says, I have a good military friend who is there right now as a correspondent, uh, Michael Yan. That's that's really interesting. Um, was mm. the center of banking for the Pacific for over a century. Um, so, Alan, uh, yeah, that's why you, no um, pressure, but if you want to join us, um, it's the same link as you've joined before in our little after party. If you uh, want to join us into our discussion this evening, uh, more than happy to have you. I would love to hear uh, your knowledge of Hong Kong. Um, but I want to kind of get in just to give the the overview here. So, and then on new on bleh, on nine June, this is when like over a million people marched to the government headquarters to show that they were uh, against the bill. 
Well, Greg, let's let's go ahead and kind of set this up real yeah, quick. So if you don't mind me jumping. Yeah, no, so, I just wanted to say that nine June thing. Sure, sure. Yeah, sure. set the table, Josh. So what so we we have Hong Kong, which is very culturally a very different place. And one of the things that maybe a lot of us in the West aren't aren't don't realize, although we could probably guess, is that the the current political party has only six percent of the popular vote. Uh, and because eligible voters over there, I believe you have to own a house. So it's a subset of the population right from the get-go, and then it's a subset of that that has the controlling interest of the government. And it's very pro-Beijing. It's very pro-China. And this is another example of the elites thinking one thing and then not listening to the people. Uh, and this extradition thing was really just sort of the, the match that lit up the powder cake because it started off as a protest against this extradition thing, but is now culminating in a more um, sort of a dynamic pro-democracy, pro-individual rights movement because uh, those things have been eroded. And as Greg has already suggested, there have been disappearances and political uh, chicanery and there has been China in infiltrating into Hong Kong's uh, communication systems and trying to influence its politics. Just a, and, just a quick interrupt and let you sure. continue on as Alan just joined us. So thanks for joining us, Alan. I've already got you unmuted. So hop in whenever you want, but I'll let uh, Josh kind of continue. Um, and just right. throw in the, remember the Uyghurs, what, what they yeah. do to the Uyghurs over in China. Yeah, so basically the, uh, the current leadership was very favorable to allowing this extradition because they were trying to curry favor with China uh, probably for economic reasons and security reasons. And right now they're running scared because the protests have begun. They've been going all summer. Uh, and the protests themselves have been, I think, held, done very, very intelligently, especially when you consider the sheer number of people that are out and about. But uh, this is a not just a political and economic revolution. It's a cultural revolution because what we have is a bunch of people who identify as Hong Kong. In fact, it's something like 75% of them identify as actually being Hong Kong rather than Chinese. Right. So right. they have a very American. That, that's significant. Power. That's that's really well, significant Josh, in that area. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, well, Josh, that's Josh, that's exactly right. You have to understand that it's very similar to the Middle East in that regard. You know, the Gulf states, they sort of see themselves not as Arabs, but they see themselves as Gulf uh, citizens of the Gulf states. They don't look at themselves as typical Bedouin Arabs, or they did not. They never have. Hong Kong is the exact same way. They see themselves as separate from China and their identity for years under the treaty system. They were an independent uh, financial institution. They basically literally financed trade in that region uh, for close to 125 years and at the behest of the British. Right. And I spoke with Michael Yan, my friend, my co he's a former military colleague. He is now a, uh, a freelance journalist there. And he has told me that, and, and Josh, your, your point was excellent, that this is a groundswell revolution. It is not like Tiananmen Square. These are people that, I mean, this is a, a revolution that is up from the bottom and it, but it, but it's a revolution that encompasses the, the majority of the social classes on the bottom and in the middle. And these people are not going to give up because Greg, you nailed it. They know what's, they know what's coming. They know if they will, that they will be disappeared. They will be taken to the mainland and they'll never be seen again. 
Now, what, what is your take, Alan? I'm really curious. Did you read uh, the op-ed that um, Mitch McConnell, the uh, Dark Lord of the Senate, released, mm -hmm. which I actually kind of agree with? I did not see that. I, I, I have not. I, if you, he I've had been, talked been, about... First week in teaching, so... Yeah, because there's there's the trade. Uh, I can't remember the year of the uh, the the treaty that we had, the trade policy that we have with Hong Kong that gives us more leeway than the mainland than mainland China. And he was talking about attacking that, which might have kind of initial negative consequences for Hong Kong, but would greatly jeopardize mainland China and could be a big. You know, using this whole thing as a big sticking point in our trade negotiations. Well, that's part of it. You have to understand the treaty system for over a hundred years uh, that was in place. It treated all of those Canton partners like like separate entities, and that system, Hong Kong, was in essence a Western-style democracy and a Western-style trading country separate from China. And that system right now, you have to also understand, too, that China's economy is on the ropes. I mean, they are literally running scared. That's why you mm -hmm. see this desperation in them. That, But that's also why you have not seen them do a Tiananmen Square and go ahead and cross that and start killing people because they know for a fact, I don't think they, and this is where you see Trump coming in and ratcheting up the pressure because I know, I mean, they will not do that because they simply don't want to run the risk of forcing Trump's hand to really put the screws to them. Trump actually has been very, very conciliatory. I mean, here last week, uh, I caught something about how he basically was backing off and saying, okay, fine, I'll delay implementation. Surely they're going to want to, you know, he's what he's basically saying is, uh, fine, I'll give you a little bit of breathing room. I'll let you play ball. But what he's doing, he's holding the carrot in one hand, the stick in the other. If you push the right buttons in this situation, China will capitulate. They have no choice but to do so. Well, this Alan, move Alan, that they, yeah. Go ahead, finish up because I've got an update no. on that stick. Okay, all right, <laughs> we'll do. But but this but no, this situation today where uh, uh, they where they're, they're maneuvering to push uh, against our soy bean farmers, where they're going to place tariffs that are going to hurt our auto industry. That's a move of desperation. It is clearly a move of desperation. They are, we've got them back against the wall on their heels, and this is a move of desperation. I actually think we're doing this absolutely correctly. We're with, with, with minimal, you know, we've got some screw ups here and there, but we're doing this correctly. Go ahead, Josh. Well, I was going to say that uh, today, in fact, just a little while ago, Donald Trump has announced the intention. And one one always has to put an asterisk next to things that Donald Trump says, because very often he says things for effect, not as a part of a policy. But he has announced that the 10 percent tariff that he has against three hundred billion dollars worth of Chinese goods in lieu of this threat against our soybean and automotive industry, he's going to take it up to 15 percent. So he's just... <laughs> increased it and he's ratcheting up the pressure on china okay uh now this is where this is where i would much rather have donald trump and the people that he has in his administration at the helm of this sort of situation 
then I would rather have Barack Obama or, or George W. Bush to that effect. Right. Yes, Trump is oh, yeah. hardball. Okay. Donald Trump is playing high stakes poker. He is playing hardcore brass knuckles economics here. <laughs> this gentleman, I dare I say it, this is how wars start. I think we all know that. This yep. is how how a war will start, and if the and I, I mean I, I dare I say it if they roll tanks into Hong Kong, and like I say I've got a good friend who's there right now who I'm in, I am in contact with, and he said that people are running scared, the government in Hong Kong is running scared, but the people are stalwart. They are well, not going to back down. Josh had said something to me maybe a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, something about how the military in Hong Kong is kind of, or China is kind of in shambles, right? I mean, there, there's one side doesn't talk to the other. Well, that's part of it. You have to understand in a communist system, whenever you're dealing with a communist system, you know, you have several different entities that are independent of each other, especially in China. You have the government, you have Xi. Okay, who has sought over the past five, eight years or so to try and consolidate his power. But you have an entirely different power structure with the military. Yeah. It's almost like a, a different branch of the government. You know, if you remember back during the Bush administration when that, uh, that P-3 Orion uh, was bumped by a Chinese fighter jet. Yeah, I remember that. To, mm -hmm. Yeah, they were forced to land on Hainan Island. What the Bush administration did, the Bush administration was trying to deal directly with the Chinese government, right? And they, they, one of the reasons why that crew was not released initially was because the Bush, is, the Bush administration, like all good, you know, basic, you know, big machine Republican administrations is trying to go through diplomatic channels. But the military, if you if you unpack that, you can see the Chinese government negotiating with the Chinese military to try and get those people released, to try and get our sailors that were, were released, that were captive. That, to me, it speaks a great deal, because what you're dealing with are two different organizations. You have the government of Xi, who is seeking to consolidate power and become a mousy tongue in, a, uh, in an Italian suit. <laughs> Uh, and then you have the military, and that what makes it. That's what makes this situation extremely tense and very volatile. Because yeah. the military could act independently of the government, especially if if we have forces there. If there's another PC three Orion that happens to get shot down, or if they surface another submarine in uh, in front of a naval vessel. This could evolve or devolve into a shooting war very quickly. Do you yeah, that, do you think something... that that China would dare pull that? I don't. I don't think. But, and that's something you could have pulled the under the government a Bush would not. A... The government would not, but the military would. That's a yeah. I, I see yeah. Ellen's point, and yeah. and it's a good one. That this is something we saw in the Cold War too, uh, and mm -hmm. it's it's with every totalitarian regime. Yeah. There's Marxist ideology in China and also in Russia, but more than that, it's totalitarianism. And it is the division between the government apparatus and the military apparatus. And the well, mili military oh, has all the guns. Military 
believes there's there's always that push pull between the government and the military. The military understands that it could take over at any moment. Now, guys, I want to make sure that we're being clear here because this it gets even a little bit more complicated than this. When we say the military, uh, what we're f referring to or what we should be referring to is the national military. There's two Correct. militaries. There's the Communist Party military, and then there's the Chinese government military. And they do not get along and they do not play well. It would Correct. be as if one party in the U.S. decided to weaponize, built their own army, and then um, – you know, basically uh, started feuding with uh, the U.S. Army One party and, and the, all the other services, and they were of about the same size. So, yeah, we could actually have an airstrike. Our first question, if we know what we're doing, is, well, wait a minute. It, the missile came out of China, but who launched it? And it's a question. But right. I think Dustin actually has something he'd like to add. Uh, Alan and Josh, you both seem to have a pretty good uh, understanding of the Chinese government as it stands right now. The way you describe the relationship between the government apparatus and the military apparatus, as you've described it, um, it sounds a lot like the Weimar Germany uh, version of a republic. And uh, it sounds to me like that there is sort of like an independence experience between these two groups. Is that, the, is that really that way over there? Um, I don't quite have that understanding. I would say that that's actually a very good analogy, but you have, it's a little bit more complicated than that. You have to understand that there is a middle class in China right now that the government for years, after Reagan established a burgeoning trade relationship with the communist government in China, property rights were expanded. And now you have a middle class that owns overseas stock you have a middle class that have they have a portfolio at risk now and they're not liking this too much however you also have like i said you have a military that is not and, and as josh very appropriately pointed out you have two different militaries you have a bifurcated military you have the communist party apparatchik uh you know the uh for lack of a better term uh what, what's coming to my mind is the capos, basically. They're, they're the communist capos. And then you have the military, the professional military. The situation that you've got there is that you have stuck in the middle, you have this, this middle class, and you see a lot of them in Hong Kong, but also on the mainland, you have people that are losing the vested interests that they've had in the economy who are taking note of this as well. I would beg to differ, or I would, I would like to offer that if we're not seeing the whole picture here i would be willing to bet you that there is unrest in some circles that is formatting uh actually on the mainland and it's starting to occur on the mainland and i think that if if like i say it like i said earlier if the right buttons are pushed this could go very easily into a shooting war and it could go into a very difficult situation that's why I'm more comfortable with Donald Trump at the helm than I am with any other president. Well, I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I think that there's it's let's explore this a little bit because it doesn't make much sense. Hong Kong at, at its face value. Hong Kong is just a very, very small little area. Obviously, it's very wealthy. But the details that have come out of China so far have a lot to do with and I'm going to my Chinese pronunciation is terrible, but Shen. Uh, which is a economic hub just outside of the Hong Kong area. Now, consider in America, 
if you wanted to set up a massive amount of, let's say, timber harvesting, we know that you would have to go to the Pacific Northwest. Or you might go to Appalachia because that's where the trees really are to set up a major timber harvesting operation. So you got to look at this from a position of the, what can the nation do? Or what infrastructure is already in place to help them advance their economic plans? Their biggest problem is, and I think, Alan, you did a great job explaining this, is they have this brand new middle class who are not content to live as their grandfathers did picking rice. And they're not even content to live like their fathers did on an assembly line. These people want to work in offices. They want to have mm -hmm. laptops. They want to live in large homes. They have made money and they've grown up affluent compared to their ancestors. And so now they have high demands, high needs, and that's a lot of political pressure. So in order to answer that pressure, China, in a sense, has to, it has to be like us in the sense it's constantly growing. It's always crashing through new barriers, developing new industries. The biggest one by far was uh, the internet and all the dot-coms. We had the dot-com rise and then the, the bubble burst and it kind of came down, but then it rose again. Uh, we, we're seeing the same thing in science and medical technology with stem cell research and so forth, all sorts of different frontiers. It doesn't actually have to be taking parts of the world away from other people. But in this sense, because it's China and because they don't have 150 years of learning how to cope with their middle class and dealing with, you know, you know the, the, the kind of cultural mentality of capitalism – what is now happening is they're thinking we're going to take Hong Kong and not just eat it, but it's actually going to become the hub for a huge data and financial service package that we're going to bring into the country. We're going to have a lot of people who are familiar with working with foreigners, who, which China only has a limited number of those. It only has a limited uh, amount of welcoming to, to foreigners uh, in, in its property. Hong Kong is built for foreign travel, for foreign experience, for foreign right. Correct. This is a huge thing just beyond whatever Hong Kong is today. This is going to be kind of like a port, not just for goods, but for ideas and data and money. It's a well, you huge. Have to, well, Josh, you also have to understand that this there's nothing new under the sun. And this xenophobia that you see uh, that is directed towards uh, – because and it's not necessarily directed towards Chinese people. But like I said, Taiwan, Hong Kong – Taiwan represents the old China – Hong Kong represents the treaty system. And there is a xenophobia in China that goes back to several dynasties. Hmm. One of the reasons why they were so backward for so many years is that they did not see the economic value of trade and trade relations with the West. Hmm. That has now changed. But hmm. however, what they're trying to do, as you just pointed out, they are trying to do it by fiat, by military threat and fiat, you have several wedges that are pushing on them. Several wedges. You have wedges pushing on them economically from us. You have wedges pushing on them from internal, from their population inside. And you also have uh, the greater wedge of currency, of trade. And that's something that I, like I say, I... And when I look at this situation, it's fascinating to me because you see the old China, as you said, developing into the new China. However, mm. what they want to do is take it by force. And right. that that bothers me because, like I said, if if we back down on this, if we back down literally and we back off, China will supplant. China will be the dominant force in that region. 
you've got to consider Japan. You've also got to consider Korea because, and, and also this is another thing about Korea. This has a lot to do with North Korea as well. Right. North Korea here a few days ago, fired off a couple of missiles. Now they're saying Mike Pompeo is uh, a bastard for lack of a better term. You know, a uh, voluminous bastard, I think is how, what I read that they said, they called it. Okay. Have you been let talking to my wife? That. Right. Yeah. Let me translate that for you. <laughs> Uh, he's highly effective mm -hmm. and we're intimidated by this guy. That's part of it. But Trump, what Trump did for China in South Korea, you have to understand before this current president in South Korea won the election, there was a rapidly pro-American opponent in that election. The United States, the Trump administration backed the pro-Chinese South Korean guy, and he won the election. That was an olive branch to China. We were basically saying, okay, fine. You want your guy on that peninsula? Sure, we'll give it. This is what we want. China has not done what we have wanted. They have not put the pressure, the requisite pressure on North Korea to resolve that situation. Because I feel fairly confident that what, what he told them, he said, look, we want a one Korea you know, he's got the bromance thing going on with Kim Jong-un. He's trying to 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 get a, a centerpiece for his his administration, for his uh, legacy, for the foreign policy. But they've not done that. They're playing against they're playing us against each other. And that's that to me is is fascinating. Well, does that, that, does that can, come from decades of feckless leadership? Right. Do you think, you know, it's just been I enabled so. for so yeah. long? Well, well, because we've capitulated. We've yeah. capitulated every single time. Trump has never, he, Trump, and this is what's, what's driving people crazy about Trump. He has literally said, look, we're not playing by the old rules now. He said here just last week, uh, look, I, somebody had to take on China. Nobody was doing it. I've right. got to do this. <clears throat> it's in the best interest of the country. He's right, but China's not And suddenly that statement gets turned into a god complex when he says, I was chosen <laughs> yeah, by that's the, the American people. <laughs> the king of it. Oh, lot, God, yeah. Thanks a lot, Vice and Vox. <laughs> but, okay, I'll, I'll be the, the wet blanket here, gentlemen, that, Please. okay, we're, we're talking about war. Um, we were basically fighting China in Korea, which we fought to a standstill. We also took Correct. China on again in Vietnam, and we took that one as a loss. Right. Well, we, there'd be, yeah, there's prepared? a lot of caveats to the well, Vietnam. Well, there's, there's, okay, there's several caveats to your statement there, but I'm going to let you finish. I do have something I want to add about the, the whole Vietnam thing, but go, Lewis, please. Are, are we prepared to get into a war over Hong Kong? No, I, I would, in my opinion, I don't think we are. Now, we weren't prepared to go to war over the Sudanland either. We weren't prepared, and, and let's be clear about something here. Um, in early American history, what really changed this country from a local power to a regional power and put us in a position to be the global dominant power was the Caribbean. Uh, we had a lot of ports. Doctrine. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. 
Uh, we had a lot of ports. We were able to do a lot of trade. It really made us rich. It helped us to purchase an army. It helped us to purchase half the country. It helped us to fund the conquest of the other half. This was That was our big piggy bank for a very long time. And uh, that was what was being threatened during the Civil War in a lot of respects. You know, it's, it's suddenly that goes away and the country really stops working very well. So not trying to be a cynic about any of this stuff. I'm just saying there was an economic you know, argument. Well, th an another thing about the Civil War was that was Britain backing the southern states play. That and or that was part of the the, yeah, the the idea of it, the machination of it, right? Yeah, exactly. That you know, you you had tobacco, you have cotton. You're you're sending that up north to the northern mills. What if you sent that to us? Then right. we will back your independence. Correct. Yes. That's correct. why we. That's why correct. the the union imposed a blockade. Now well, their money, their money also flowed. Josh is absolutely right. The money out of those sugar plantations in the Caribbean flowed into the South as reinvestment. So, yeah, that's absolutely correct. So what is China doing? Well, it's interested in seizing Hong Kong, either through politics or policy or military force. It's building islands in the South China Sea. It's using the Belt and Road policy to strangle smaller countries. And it's using political influence to, to do the same with embargoes and, and various threats in order to get the same thing. They want a massive open, they want an open highway to the ocean where trade and, and so forth can flow in and out. Now, normally I wouldn't have any kind of a problem with that except it's all about their tactics, right? If right, they were correct. buying these rights, if they were the negotiating these rights in good faith, then it would benefit not just China, but also those smaller countries. But that's not what they're doing. They're blackmailing, they're double dealing, um, you know, they're being two-faced about it. And here's the other thing is part of our containment policy for China as a communist power is to deny them the seas, which our Navy uh, does an incredible job with and our Air Force and Marines both back up. Um, that is, uh, that's, you know, that's why we've made bases in, in... I mean, mostly the Air Force, just, you know, just throw that out there. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, they get, you know, the Navy has something to do with it, I think. But... You know, basically, America manages the planet by controlling the oceans. And correct. Uh, and you also is, have to understand, yeah. Josh, that 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 lane that comes through the South China Sea that is supposedly international waters, right. okay, where China is building those islands and where uh, where they force that uh, PC three Orion down that we just mentioned earlier. Right. The reason why, and they surfaced a submarine in the middle of a carrier battle group here about uh, the five, six years ago, they surfaced right. the submarine literally. Okay, there's a reason why they're doing that. They're doing that because they are basically saying, this is ours, and right. this is how we control this ocean, and this is how we establish. Now, what we're doing, we're moving the chess pieces upward, and Trump is pushing the chess pieces upward to challenge them, you know, to challenge them and basically take them away or take that away and say, okay, fine, if you're going to play that, we're going to do that as well. And they're pushing forward. What Where this could potentially go sideways is if they take um, and they see this is Japan and, and also South Korea are something that that you have. You can't discount. You also have to look at Australia, because if they get that and they turn that region, if China, if China does. And I, I agree with you totally, Josh. 
if China takes that region and if they get Hong Kong, they're able to secure that footprint right through that the open that used to be international waters. The balance of power will tip. China will be the dominant power. Their bargaining position will be far greater than the combined might of Australia, Japan, the United States, uh, and that's a little scary thought mm-hmm. as well. I mean, that's really frightening if you think about it, because they will be able to dictate dictate terms to us. This is why Trump is playing the high stakes poker. This is also why you're not seeing the Democrats coming out and saying, well, you know, Trump's crazy. What's he doing with China? They know what's going on, too. Yeah, they're figuring they're 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 basically cooling their heels. They're coming back and just not saying anything. They're playing. They're playing their cards close to their chest because they want to see if he succeeds. If he succeeds, great. It works out. Everybody's cool. We, we, we're still good. The the old world order. Well, if he succeeds, uh, then it's going to be white supremacy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, if, uh, if we can figure out but, how to inject white supremacy into it, yeah, they would. But, but, but speaking of white supremacy. <laughs> Sorry, Dustin, you want to say something? <laughs> There was a there was something that came out of these Hong Kong protests that I wanted to bring up because I am a part of this whole the, the uh, Pepe the Frog sub, thing. Yes, the internet subculture of the disgusting, horrid uh, people from 4chan. Uh, there was this Pepe the Frog portion of the protest where <laughs> people were spray painting this frog all over these like buildings and stuff like that. Yeah. And they the American media, by the way, has a really hard time with this. Because they don't know how to connect it to white supremacy, considering the Chinese are not particularly white, and <laughs> they're privileged. Yeah, I love, I love the. Uh, it's privilege. Yeah, it's privilege. Luke I love the twisting and turning that they're doing to be like, well, it's a white supremacy symbol, but when the Chinese used it, it's totally different. Yeah, it's totally different, guys. <laughs> it wasn't just there to like lampoon and and lambaste like certain things, and then and just be a, a meme like any other meme that's ever existed. No, no, no we, we it was white supremacy because it attacked Hillary, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's remember. Remember there was like a there was like when she brought up like these like the basket of deplorables thing, and then after that she brought up this like online hate group thing, and somebody shouted Pepe at one of her rallies. Right? <laughs> Pepe lives. Yeah. But yeah. I, that that brings us into an interesting area that I wanted to discuss is the. I mean, there is a. Com- almost like a malpractice of ignorance. I mean, the the media is not covering this hardly at all. I mean, you have to go online to really get any real coverage of it. If you turn on the news, you're not going to see, you might see a 30-second a, a blurb about it, if that, but you're not. By the by the way, I want to plug my buddy, uh, Michael Yan. He has a Facebook page. It's Michael Y-O-N. And he is boots on the ground over there. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to have to look that what, up. And please, people, check that out. Michael Young. Yeah, and what I will do as well, I'm going to contact Mike tonight, Greg. I'll send him a private message. And uh, I'll see if he's interested in maybe coming on if you want to do another oh, show. yeah, absolutely. I would love to well, uh, Mike, talk to Mike's, somebody there Mike's on the ground. Quality, Mike's quality people. He's a good guy. And, and he would love to talk to you, I bet. I'll send him a private message. He and I served together. And uh, he's the real deal. Oh, awesome. he's also a very good journalist. Yeah, look him up, you, Michael Yan. He uh, he's got a he's got a Facebook profile. Does he do? Like, does uh, he have the Twitter or is it just a Facebook? 
Uh, I just follow him on Facebook, and I've and I've got his email. He and I contact through email, and I've got his cell phone, but he hasn't answered his cell phone for a while. There, he told me he sent me a message saying that they're blocking uh, cell phone service certain areas of Hong Kong. Yeah, they can uh, throw the up Chinese, the dis- uh, right the disruptors. Yeah, they're interrupting the, the cell service because the cell cell the, these uh, the the protesters. They're using group chats and cell phones, and so what the Chinese are doing, they're moving in blockers and they're blocking the cell phone service. So he said it's very difficult to get out, but he is, he's like I say, he's doing the yeoman's work. He's there, boots on the ground. Yeah, Hong Kong right now is a cyberpunk novel. The the government's in, put in uh, putting in jammers, and mm-hmm. and the the mm-hmm. people are, are baffling facial recognition cameras with lasers. Well, some of the stuff they're doing, like I see in the videos of when they were throwing in the tear gas and they were taking the uh, road stop uh, road the cones. cones, the yeah. road cones, and putting them over top and then pouring water down the the top hole yeah. of the cone. Like this yeah. is this is brilliant stuff, and right. this this takes coordinated efforts. Um, and another thing that that shows me just how coordinated and on the same page these protesters are which is you know when you really delve into it you know it's one soundbite but it's actually really incredible is they just recently i think just within the past few days did a uh you know kind of the hands across the world kind of thing where they all made a human chain 28 miles long nice nice and you got to think when you got i mean how long 28 miles is when you're chaining humans together, holding hands, and the coordination that that takes to everybody well, well, do that. That's, and here's, that's here's incredible. what's even more remarkable about the coordination is there's no leader of any of these protests. And this is very unusual. Um, the protests well, well, are- Well, ask mm-hmm. yourself why though, Josh. Oh, no, I think it's a brilliant yeah, no, move. Yeah, yeah it's a, it, I only have admiration for it. They're doing it entirely on social media. They're choosing what they do based on popular vote and a lot of conversation. But mm-hmm. since there's no leader, there it's not like Tiananmen Square where you can have him arrested or silence him or right. throw the whole council or whatever organization is behind it. You can't get rid of them. So the Chinese government is in a very unusual situation in which there's no head to the hydra. It's just, right. you know, there's just it's just a mass that's coming at them. I mean, they could have some kid pulled out and shot or run somebody over with a tank. It wouldn't do anything because yeah, you that can't, you can't target, you know, in the past where you could target the uh, the few leaders mm-hmm. and you take out those cells and then boom, like it, the thing deteriorates. But this is if that's what's so amazing is people are just on the same page. Yeah, this this is like the Boxer Rebellion being turned back around on China. I think one of my uh, favorite strong my, work, Lewis. Very good. Like one, I think I think one of my favorite innovations about this is that because they're blocking internet access and Wi-Fi access, uh, they're having trouble communicating and things like that. But Bluetooth still gets through. So mm-hmm. the way that they're actually communicating is they're chaining phones and then airdropping things from one person to the next so that they can coordinate that way yeah that and i think um using a ham radio technology because you can basically create an idiot uh an idiot an internet through ham radio Mm -hmm. you can create an idiot with a hammer but uh, (laughs) (laughs) but Um, yeah i mean using bluetooth bluetooth and this is this goes to the coordination of it well, that and their their population size too, and but 
you only get about 30 to 40 feet max distance on Bluetooth, if that. And, and density. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, so it's just like boom, boom, boom. So it's creating, I think we call it like a token ring or whatever. It basically works like a worm. Is there basically doing like a virus, like a worm type thing to uh, get the messages across and it's spreading like crazy. So, you know. It's a, it, it's a relay system. It's, it's like a uh, semaphore. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, they right. learned their lesson well uh, from Tiananmen Square. They learned the lessons of Tiananmen well, and they're not repeating their past mistakes. Tiananmen Square, a lot of that leadership died there in Tiananmen yeah. Square. And now they are learning that decentralizing leadership, you know, not staying in one place too long. They've learned the value of these things, and they're implementing them. Uh, Mike, when I spoke with him last week, uh, was telling me that he's talking with these people and they are well aware of who belongs, who doesn't. And the people that they, I mean, they're, they know that they know the infiltrators. They took a guy who was, I think at the airport who, uh, they were trying to kidnap someone. The guy was, uh, a Chinese policeman. They actually outed him. They stripped him naked took all of his credentials, beat the crap out of him, and sent him back to the other side. They I think I've seen him. the pictures of this, actually. Yeah, yeah, and they're probably Mike's photos, but uh, they're they're specifically not doing something. They're not doing things to provoke a military response. Right. If they're, they're doing what they have to do. They're pulling the guy in. They're beating the crap out of him. They're stripping him naked and saying, look, we're going to let you live. Go back and tell them we're not going to quit. We're not going to lay down. We will not give up. And it's working so far. You know, one but, thing I'm seeing is, you know, the American flags, the Pepe stuff, you know, very, very American symbols um, for freedom and freedom and liberty. What, well, that's have a direct you appeal to Trump. That's yeah, and that's so like how Trump. prevalent is that? Is it in very small areas? Or I'm just curious in your talks with Michael Yan is – like how prevalent is that with the waving the American flags and the, you know, we've seen the pictures of the, you know, we want the second amendment and all that. Like how prevalent is that? Michael has told me that in some of the uh, more upper echelon areas where you've got more, uh, well, I, for lack of a better term, a lot of the higher middle class, you're seeing that occur because they're appealing directly. They are well aware of who Trump is, of what Trump's doing. And what they're trying to do is appeal directly to Trump because that's the only way they get their message. Well, out. it's very smart. I would yeah, do that. Yeah, exceptionally, exceptionally smart. They're doing a very good job. How how is it appealing to the like the the lower class, like the 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 more you know on the poverty line or impoverished? And I'm not really. I that's actually a really good question. I you know I wonder if what what time is it in China right now? What time is it in Hong Kong? Uh, I'm sure uh, Dustin or any of you can look it up on the interwebs and tell me what the time is it is. I, th I think it's about nine. There. It's uh, nine, nine thirty in the morning. So it's yeah. twelve hour hey, difference. Look. Hey, I'm gonna bug off for a little bit. I'm gonna see if I can contact Mike. And oh, that that'd be that'd be phenomenal. Okay. And see if he can join us, okay? And I'll give him the information. Let me contact him real quick. See if I can get in touch with him, and uh, I'll come back. But I'll see if I can get bring Mike back with. Yeah, cool. I, that'd be amazing. Nothing else, yeah, if nothing else, tell him that we'll give him all the time he wants. Just name the time. Right. Yeah, okay, absolutely. All right, we'll do. Let me see if I can get him. I'll Thanks, Alan. Guys. No worries. All right. See you. see you in a bit.
one thing I want to amend is I, I said that, um, that America would not help militarily. And I think that just comes from the fact that we are, we're trending more isolationist right well, now. Well, but you didn't I say they would not help. I just think you said we're not really ready. We're not in a state well, that, that's and, and I mean, I think that we should help, but I don't see us. I see us doing a lot politically, economically, influentially. I don't see us going to war with China over Hong Kong. Well, I think, I, yeah, I this is more of a covert game, I think. And But, I mean, China knows our military might. I mean, numbers-wise, they might have us beat, but numbers mean nothing when you've got the, the tech that we have. I mean, we can just absolutely, like the South China Sea, the fake islands, that, that could be gone. We could decimate that in a matter of seconds. Like, right. this, this isn't an actual war. Like, I think we're beyond that with China at this point. Like when it when it comes to China right now, everything is about posture. Like everything is about positioning. We've got each other by the belt buckle. Who's got the best grip? Here's the thing about China: they're dependent on American money. If we have to divest from China, it's gonna hurt. But there's a lot of other places that we can build factories that make shoes and soccer balls. That's mm. the bigger problem here. China is dependent upon us. We don't need them. And right. when it comes to China's internal issues, they are resource starved to beat hell. If it really comes down to it, we will not go to war with them. We will go to war with Africa, where they are right now trying to get as much mineral rights and resource rights as they possibly can. And they're trying to go after Greenland. And that's the thing. Yeah. Like, they need these resources. We don't. They need this stuff. We don't. We yeah. are on top of our game. They're not on top of theirs. They're in very bad footing at this point. We do not have to go to a war with China. We never did. Right. Hey, Dustin, why don't, why don't you kind of break that out a little bit better? I mean, just exactly what kind of pressures are China is China up against beyond just resources, but there's a lot of them. To, to name but one thing, uh, they don't have as much drinkable water as the rest of the world does. Only 3% of their water is potable. All right? So, like, think about that for a few minutes. All right. When they need resources, they have to go from outside. They're importing food. They're importing soybeans from us. Right. And the Midwest here, that's a big sticking point is that they're, that they're the fourth largest importer of our soybeans and our corn. Right. So they're on the list, but they are fourth. Right. They have to go elsewhere to get those resources and nobody produces like we do. Yeah, we have the breadbasket, and it's very hard to find that in this world. Um, I'll throw a couple others in there. Uh, number one, they have a massive gender imbalance, which yes. means that they have way too many men for their women. Um, there, there's already, and it's getting worse. It's the one-child policy has come and done its work, and uh, now there's excellent point. It, it's it's yeah. kind of led to this uh, social pressure too of why China is so expansionist, why they're they're um, in addition to what's going on with with Hong Kong, there's kind of a silent genocide going on with the the Uyghurs. Of uh, they have put them all in camps, they have isolated them, and they've done a, a process of separating the men from the women to basically end uh, their. Oh, they, they have done absolutely atrocious and vile, vile things. Uh, All right, the stuff that Trump is being accused of uh, with this like Mexican border crossing thing, China's actually doing with their Muslim Times population. a thousand. And that's yeah. really the most fucked up part about this is that we have like, uh, internally it makes sense. We're focusing a lot of our attention on stuff that's happening in country. Makes sense, right? 
right. there is actual stuff that's crazy going on right like in chechnya right now there are camps where they are putting homosexuals okay this is a real thing this is a problem okay human beings are being put into camps for for the crime of being gay okay now in china they're putting people in camps for the crime of having a religion right now and, and then a very specific type and culture now we are focusing we are hyper focusing on the internal the external is so much more terrifying and when it comes to china everything that's wrong here is twice as wrong over there pick a topic any one of them news yeah, freedom, exactly voting um, rights whatever you got what china do you is is intent on expanding into former soviet states and they've basically ramped up a an imperialism process worse than the british and and roads and south africa and the boer war and all of that in their in their race and land grab in mm -hmm. africa that's that's where they're sending a lot of you know what i find really interesting you know very prevalent on the left man. that's being talked about in the you know the from all the 2020 candidates um as ridiculously clownish as they are is all this you know the world's going to end in 12 years or 10 years or whatever made up number they you know pull out of their ass but they it's all this environmentalist and climate change stuff well the by far the biggest reason for climate change if you believe their propaganda well it's china by far and yeah. so you would think the logical thing, especially when to them, the world is on the line. The end of the world is on the line. We are all going to perish. You would think that they would actually be most on board trying to find the ways to quell China so that we could have better influence. And uh, then you could actually reduce carbon emissions. Well, and I mean, it, we're, get, we're getting far away from the point on this one. I mean, China is weak because... They, they have a, a horrible pollution problem. I mean, a lot of their water was potable, and now it's not because of industrialism that was unchecked and unfettered. They got a declining population. They have an, a gender imbalance. Uh, they have got a burgeoning middle class. They have highly educated as many people as possible, which is leading to an even further decrease in birth rate because that tends to happen. When you educate a population, they tend to have fewer children. When you increase their wealth, they tend to have fewer children. Right well, that, now, the, the most they're they're extremely homogenous. They've been getting right. rid. They have was like I can't remember the number of different tribes that you know are you know groups that are in China. I, I was oh, racial group. racial yeah. groups, and they yeah. basically oh. have tried to you know use various um, manipulative genocide tactics to whittle it down to one group. So the, the Han, the, the Han Ren, yeah, yeah. Uh, because you know, and you talk about white that goes race. into massive. The biggest Han Ren are the most racist, most xenophobic people. Yeah, and whenever, whenever you have a, uh, a not all Han Ren, <laughs> hashtag not all Han, right? <laughs> when yeah. you have a a people that are extremely homogenous. The more homogenous you get, the lower your birth rates get. That is Correct. one of the biggest indicators of lower birth rates. Here's, well, a, here, here's, a, here's a thought, gentlemen. Um, Paris, the Paris Accords. What do you think that was a, a Chinese plan to stave off recession of 
the rest of the world is basically paying for them to clean up their act. You know that was just going to be cash that they turned in to their economy. It wasn't going to go to cleaning up their, their oh, environment. Not a penny. Well, like I, I used to and you guys know that I used to uh I used to breed and sell seahorses. Um not to get into seahorse breeding, but the big reason, you know, seahorses are endangered is because of China. Well, you know, uh, getting back to to China herself and to the Hong Kong situation. So what we have here is a, I want to put something in perspective really quick. Last year, there was about 18 million children born in China in one year. Uh, there are over 240 million people in China who are over the age of 60. Now, take that and fast forward it 30 years. That's a very, you know, 30 years is probably too much, 20 years. You'll have... 80-year-olds, less of them than, than 241 million, but still enough of them. And you're going to have a very small population at the bottom to support them. So economically, they have to grow. It is required of them. In fact, they're going right. to run into a labor crisis here in 20 years, even though we think of China as being just endless people. It's all about proportions. Um, and you know, but they are by far not the only country to suffer in this way. Everyone, as they've come closer to modernity, uh, they've they've been suffering a lack of fecundity, but that's very extreme. There, there are, there is a great. I don't think they're actually as homogenous necessarily as we we like to believe. At least from the perspective, maybe racially that's true, but culturally, there is a great deal of difference between the eastern, central, and western, and then western coastline parts of China. Yeah, northern and southern China mm, are very different. That's, that's well, yeah, I mean, yeah, right. in communism and stuff, there it's it's all about perceptions. Uh, well, and so I mean, like, to what extent is it really that true when I they mean, control movies, the public perception? Movies so still have to be dubbed into Mandarin and Cantonese for the, right. the two major market, the two major languages spoken in the country. But Lewis, so, important uh, question: Who came up with the stirrups? The stirrups? The Mongols? Oh, it's an inside <laughs> joke. <laughs> um, but so, uh, I, I got a conspiracy theory. We still oh one. yes. Alex right. Jones, take it away. Go ahead. All right. So here's the conspiracy theory. We were talking about labor shortages in China that's going to be coming up as an issue in the next 20 years. Uh, the conspiracy theory is that's why they created the social credit system. The idea was that like they could create an underclass of people who could not be employed by certain people and they had to find employment wherever they could. And what's left over once you take away all the respectable jobs? This is going to be the factory workers and shit like that. So, like, that's that, that was the conspiracy theory about the social credit system. You can create a permanent underclass of people who are beholden to whatever jobs they can get their hands on. So, you don't have to worry about the running out of factory workers who will work for like three dimes a day. That's a really will, interesting idea. Yeah, I'll take your conspiracy th uh, theory and I'll add to it that news coming out of Hong Kong is that. Um, sort of the the leg breakers getting involved in the in the street battles with the protesters their triad their tong so these this is the organized crime in hong kong and yeah, it that's looks where, that's like that's like 30 percent of the income is all black market and triad and everything that's coming into exactly China. and beijing is playing ball with them they're getting them to do the dirty work with 
I guess it's kind of like RoboCop with the promise of when China takes over, their police records disappear. They will be considered legit. Guess what's well, not no, going to that, happen? That's, that's the only thing. <laughs> that's the only time I disagree. Is they're not going to, they're not, you know, this whole clearing of the police records. They don't want those police records cleared ever because then they no longer become a valid service to the state is you when you you have your criminals go out and do these things and then when something oh, blows right. back you blame it on the criminals they're criminals you don't right. clear the records that's stupid yeah why would you a totalitarian government allow criminals to go free with a clean slate after you've taken over you have all of the leverage why would you give it up you wouldn't well You'd and shut i mean them down if it's if it's if we've heard about just the police records, you can count on there being a lot of other things on the table, right? That's just the part that we know about. Like um, cash makes more sense than a clean criminal record, to be quite honest with you. Well, and I mean certainly, certainly in in communist situations where there's a lot of control, uh, that's when the mafia in America, for example, when we had prohibition, really did very well, didn't they? You know, I yeah. Mean, that's, the, the further you the further you restrict something, the greater the criminal element becomes. And but, the greater you have people playing both sides. But the mafia turned hey, around that's how we got and NASCAR, were, so. were instrumental in our invasion of Sicily. All I'm going to say about the Prohibition era is that the best bootleggers were all cops. <laughs> that's well, all I'm saying. Hey, they were all ex-cops. Those that's that's where we came up with our boat technology that we have to not today, and that's where NASCAR started from. Yes, the technology like that came from bootleggers, and that it was being sold back and forth. Playing Guys, both sides, the, man. The, well, I gotta say that the mafia has always been far more patriotic than. Uh, well, I suppose you could say that the the, uh, the triad is patriotic as long as you're only talking about China. But uh, the mafia was never going to sell us out to the Axis, you know. There's that. So, right. Well, it's funny too because the Italian mob sold out the fascists to us. Yeah. When we <laughs> asked them for it, they were just like, "Oh yeah, all of those guys that you're waiting, they, they're like on top of these mountains and stuff like that. They're over here. Let me draw you a picture." Yeah. Right. <laughs> no. Here's actually something very interesting: is the fact that there is a lot of people, and Alan was talking about this earlier. There are a lot of people in China who believe communism is an invasion of China. You think about it, China was not communist, hasn't been communist for more than about 70, 80 years. And before that, they have a long and glorious history of Chinese, well, mostly fighting one another. But the bottom line is, is that it was them and it, they had their own thing. Communism changed everything, their clothes, right. their architecture, the, their art, their music. Um, you know, it's not that they don't have these things now, but they have them under the patina of a communist state. And there's a lot of people who does this serve the people? Yeah, they're, right. There's always they, that. They, I mean, they they abolished all. I mean, temples are are in a wreck over there uh, because they abolished a lot of religions that weren't sanctioned by the state. And although there are still religious traditions that are permitted, they all have to be permitted first before you can practice them. So you know, there's a, a fair. I would you, suggest you there's actually quite stuff. a few people who would like to see the communists go. You mentioned this stuff and what's interesting is a constant kind of like secret love that these alt-right you know white supremacist retards basically have is they all have this secret love for china and the way they do things you ever notice really? that no 
Yeah, Sorry. it's because like they it's when you really delve down and I've been having my recent spats with proper Oh, they're totalitarian fanboys. Yeah. Absolutely. Like mm. I've been having my spats with the proprietarianism and Kurt Doolittle. Um and <laughs> what their obsession with is this controlling of thought. Mm-hmm. And control, you know, their whole thing is they they wrapped around. Well, it's, it's like John Locke. No, it's not. You don't know. You don't understand. You're perverting John Locke and natural law, and you know the the sanctity of truth. To then say, oh, we're well, going to have Locke a was panel all about less government. Well, yeah. Like, here, here's another thing too: is that like uh, when these guys were talking about like you know a, a master, like let's go ahead and throw this one out there, the a master race. race. Okay, we're demonetized. The only way you could buy into that and buy into it wholly is if there's no other argument there. All right? right, because like the moment you start talking about certain things that are physically beyond the the actual like length, like let me give a for instance the game of basketball all right like <laughs> there's obviously a league out there that's dominated by black men of certain size and there's a reason for it they're just better at it their physical attributes play better to it all right it happens this kind of thing happens there's no master race quote-unquote master race yeah but the only way that they can actually sell that idea is if they get rid of any other idea that's counter to it yeah and they're they're obsessed with living in their own bubble that's why they all want separation you know, well, like in, in Richard Spencer in an interview, and I can't remember what the fu- what it was on. It was like either uh, on like some goofy YouTube show or whatever. But he said himself he doesn't believe in free speech, and it's for that reason. Well, no, none of them do. You you hear that with uh, like Vox Day, you hear it with Kurt Doolittle, you hear it with uh, Richard Spencer, you hear it with all these idiots. Is they don't want free speech because free speech does not allow these things to survive. It does not allow these things to live in their own bubbles because what they want is they want to separate they want to completely separate from the left and or whatever at the time they deem it the left and the thing that always cracks me up is whenever like they're like oh well you you need six months to read all the material on this before you can even talk to me and i'm like no i'm just i what i do is i ask them very simple questions of yeah what how does this turn into that then where does this go from there and where does this go from there and when you start delving into the very simple stuff and you get past what I call like their their aggressive unreadability mm-hmm. is they just like, let me just flood you with information, you know, in the word salad crap. And it's all manipulation. But when he was like, no, I just let, let's simplify. It. If you can't take your beliefs and simplify it in, you know, pretty layman, you know, much layman's terms. Okay, yeah, we got we got it. I mean. Look, let's get back onto the topic again. Yeah, yeah. we're getting a little bit into the weeds. Uh, how did All we right. get out here? Wait, <laughs> I don't know. Wait a second. We this is do what them. we do, man. So let's talk a little bit about what China is doing, short of rolling tanks into Hong Kong. Which, again, I don't think they actually. You know, you say you know they, they could, they could. APCs, but, but if they if they did tanks in yet, right? But if they if they could roll tanks in there, and keep it as a viable port filled with wealthy, affluent, well-educated people, they would, but I don't think they can. You see, this is very interesting, is that if they damage it too badly, um, you know, it, it, it's it's like it's like basically trying to steal a Fabergé egg out of someone else's hand, right? You're a little more likely to break it than you are to, to take it. So they can't like exactly start shelling tomorrow, can they? So instead, what are they doing? Okay, it's, well, the, uh, it, it's the it's the problem of all time, or it's just like if you directly engage with it, you will break it. 
So right. the only way to get to it is you've got to be able to take it by other means. They're not winning the war of hearts and minds. That's lost. That's gone. You've already fucked that one up. So what's left over? You've got to win the battle of ideas and then the war of attrition. But the thing is, I don't think they can win the battle of ideas. Once you've tasted... No, they can't because their ideas are crap. Yeah, we that's what I'm saying. That. Is like once you've like, tasted a little bit of freedom and somebody says, hey, I want to take away this freedom that you've been able to experience. They're like, get the fuck out of here. I don't think it's really a battle of ideas as much as politics and dogma. Let's let's well, use yeah, those. You got to have the dogma and you ha like hardcore dogma that is that is supported by force. And I think their only option and and they know that it'll completely blow up in their face is force. No, no, I don't th I disagree. I mean, look at what they're doing right now. Uh, what they're doing is disinformation. They just sent out a big press release to like 30 major publish publishers around the country, news outlets, saying you guys need to start showing us a little bit more fairness and balanced coverage of this because all the news yeah, networks Yeah, this, this is what Castro did in the New York Times, like sucked his right. dick on. Right, exactly. Um, they're, they're locking internet, as we've already said. They're using infiltrators, as, as Alan was talking about. Uh, the, the infiltrators are not just passing along information, but also promoting violence. Uh, there's a lot of evidence stacking up that the July 1st attack on, I believe it was their uh, their version of Congress, like the state, um, uh, I forget what it's called, but it, basically the state government's assembly chambers uh, was infiltrators posing as protesters. They have to ruin its public image somehow because they still have to win the hearts and minds. Even if the, you say, well, they can't possibly. Well, yeah, the, the they were trying they to have is that they don't have any credibility with people of Hong Kong. Right. right. They only have credibility yeah. with a half of the population of the mainland. That's a problem. And they're not going to win that one by rolling tanks in. The moment they roll in tanks, they lose Hong Kong. It's no longer the moneymaker. It's no longer Hong Kong. Yeah, that, that's them. better to the, yeah, that's better said to the point. It I'm just becomes to get. another part of China, and China is and they will crap. absolutely not stand for it. Um, so yeah, like to not... to break down the timeline. So, July first, it was the anniversary of Hong Kong's handover from UK to China. Um, mm. the Legislative Council, the Leggo, uh, building was stormed by protesters, and they graffitied the walls, displaying colonial area flag and defaced. Hong Kong's regional emblem. This is the, another interesting thing to the to the hard left is they're so against colonialism, and these guys are all like, "We want colonialism. We want the British and back." Seven July, tens of thousands marched in uh, Kowloon, um, which is an area popular with the mainland tourists, and a bid to explain their concerns. Um, so until this point, protest the there was very little coverage of the protests on the state-run media that on 9 July, 9 July uh, Carrie Lam reiterated that the extradition bill was dead, urging protesters to stop their action because they were going after uh, Carrie Lam. Um, but she was still kind of walking leader of around. the assembly, right? Is that her name? Or yeah. Is, is she, she's, yeah. And then 21 July, part. protesters defaced China's liaison office in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. 27 July... Uh, they went and demonstrated in Yonglong, um, condemning the uh, station attack. And then on 2 August, um, even civil servants that were supposed to be politically neutral joined uh, the demonstrations. And this is, I think, where you got like all the, the yellow hats from. It's kind of similar to the yellow vest. Um, mm -hmm. And this stuff's been going on. So you had 
3 August, protests took place for the ninth consecutive weekend. Uh, this is where they started firing tear gas, rubber bullets, bean bags. And these things, they were doing like point blank to basically maim and kill. Um, right. But it was like, hey, it was a rubber bullet. But yeah, you shoot a rubber bullet point blank, you you can kill somebody. Easy. Yeah. Um, 5 August, city another citywide strike was held, bringing services across Hong Kong to a standstill. Uh, Carrie, Lang game, Carrie Lam gave her first media address in two weeks. Very interesting that a public servant like that would refrain from public uh, addresses for two weeks, saying Hong Kong was on the verge of a very dangerous situation. Sound kind of like placating both sides. 6 August, China warned the protesters not to play with fire, not to underestimate the firm resolve of... Uh, uh, Sorry, I just got a message from Alan. Um, not not to underestimate the firm resolve of the government and not to mistake refrain for weakness. Um, so basically, at this point, they're like, shit, you know, we're going to have to play mind games with them and basically play force. And they've actually, what they were doing is they, they've been shooting a lot of people with paintball guns. Um, they're actually... Uh, they're using the same exact paintball gun I use, and you can adjust the grip to go fully automatic or semi-automatic. There's a little button, and there's three different settings, and you can just unload on people. When you're when you're shooting paintballs, like even when I used to play paintball religiously with some pro ESPN players, and we would just whoop them when they were playing our woods ball because I would play with you know, ex-sports, ex-special forces guys. You'd be hmm. shooting 40, 40 feet away from each other, and I'd come home with welts all over my body. You start shooting, like, within just a couple feet from somebody, you're ripping skin off. You're supposed to wear padding, you dink. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but, uh, you know, so this is here, – here's what's really interesting to me is that we are all on these different kinds of ticking clocks. Uh, America should stick to its values, should be working – this almost sounds a little counterintuitive, but it could actually end the special treatment we give Hong Kong uh, in order to frighten off the Chinese. The way that would work is that would turn Hong Kong temporarily into a far less of a moneymaker because China's trying to screw with it. it. You can liken it a bit to how Trump's policies have not really helped much of the farmers. Interestingly, the farmers are still sticking with Trump because they're looking at the long term in this thing. So could Hong Kong. Uh, it would be really interesting. Here's another thing he could do is he could go to Hong Kong the way um, JFK went to West Berlin, uh, and and just you know just recognize the audience. I mean that would force the cameras onto them. You know they're they're waving these American flags and they're talking yeah, about the you, British writing their signs in English. For one sec, they're writing their signs in English because they know that photographers will take that and publish it. Mm-hmm. So you know this is this is a way of getting the word out on them. And well, uh, go ahead. What were you going to ask? Well, side note. Um, Alan, I guess Michael Yan tried to call Alan, so hopefully that means that he might actually be joining us. Who knows? Um, but okay. if Trump shows up, I'm just curious about the optics of that because there's a certain there are thir- certain things that if you do them, that they just incense the other side to a point where they no longer think logically; they just think through anger. And do you actually think yeah, that's a good? Be- might be right and that's probably why trump hasn't done it yet so i'm just throwing some things out there but there there's we have time now to act without having to get ourselves into a military situation or even just a military mm-hmm. standoff like the cold war 
Now, I want then all three of your opinions. I want to let you finish. Well, no, sure. let's finish, and I'll get your three opinions on the next okay, question okay. I was going to ask. I'm sorry. Then there's the time clock that China is on because it needs to quell this, implement policies through the, the Hong Kong government so they can start absorbing Hong Kong under their policies. And then there's the protesters, and they have a certain time limit to get the protests out, and they've been doing incredibly well. I mean, there's millions of Hong Kong citizens taking to the streets. They've already shut down all the airports at one point. They can put the, the entire you know, Hong Kong area into a traffic snarl that it, it takes hours to recover from. They can bring this, this operation to a screeching halt, and they're trying to demonstrate that they are indeed Hong Kong. Okay, and I'm gonna go to, to Lewis. What's the, the line from Dune? What? Hey, never mind. Uh, the he salt must flow. No, the spice must flow. No, no. He who can destroy a thing controls a thing. Ah, yeah. okay. Come on, so Lewis. Lewis. That one. Okay. Me again, Lewis. Um, My privilege failed you. Okay, anyway, but I, I just find this all interesting that we have a lot of time to act, but everyone's on a limited time scale on this to avoid that long term awful standoff yeah. and a second Cold War, which we don't want. Well, one, okay, I want to get into my question. Okay, you you said a lot of really interesting things, but before no, I, I forget my question is, um, what do you, do you see any commonalities um, between, like when we saw the original Arab Spring that spurred up with Iran and how Obama basically did nothing and that was like our prime opportunity to enact change? when we actually had the people basically begging for it. Um, do you see that kind of as a similar situation or am I off base in comparing the two? Well, I, I think there are definitely two different cultures and I mean, I don't want to second guess. I mean, we, we like to say that Obama did all this, but the truth is he did it on the recommendation of our intelligence services. Now our intelligence services- That's, that's a fair point. Can be pretty yeah. stupid. Right. So yeah, I don't that's another, know. That's not even a fair point. That's just a true, that's a true point. <laughs> <laughs> This but, might be more like Hungary, the, um, Hungary and Prague falling to the Soviets in the 50s mm. of the, the CIA promised them that they would they would back their their independence. But these were states that were so far behind the Iron Curtain that Does the CIA they ever be, get anything right that they, they couldn't be realistically helped. They, so then they were absolutely that. crushed. Um, I, I don't I don't know. Hopefully not. Hopefully these two situations have nothing to do with each other. Right. Um, I'm hoping that right now America is doing two things. One, it's using politics and trade, which are great weapons against China for all the reasons we've yes. already talked about. Um, and what we're doing is we're going to play a long game on this one. Hong Kong is a very specific part of a much larger game to basically because the clock, a much larger clock is ticking for them to strike with natural resources, population, age, gender, uh, just the simple fact that they have to create a, a million middle-class jobs every year just to keep up with the population. This That's a tall order for any country. Yeah, we, we don't have to get into a shooting war. Um, we could just play a game of risk of China is looking at um, probably licking their lips uh over what's happening in venezuela because that is a lot of oil that they could move in and and take control over 
And that's why we should be good friends with Bolsonaro in Brazil. Because if we back Brazil as as being the the dominant power and basically impose a Bolsonaro doctrine that Brazil has um, has sovereignty, has control over the South American region, that uh, they'll they'll push China out of any influence in Venezuela or any other state that that would be open to economic influence. Yeah, I don't really. I just I don't trust Bolsonaro at all. I don't trust him either. But um, why would you trust a politician? Yeah, what are you talking about? Well, beyond being a politician, I just don't trust him. But um, I know that we CIA is apparently actively engaging. Uh, the the drug syndicate in uh, Venezuela to try to overthrow Maduro, which I find both interesting and kind of troubling because I'm like, yeah, we've done that before many times. It's the 80s all over and it, again, it, it never, ever turned out well. Well, no. well, look, I mean, at the end of the day, what we need to... Are the drug cartels are very good at taking money from both sides. Yeah, yeah. They, these are um, not stupid people. These are extremely intelligent people. One of the things I think I mentioned on the program before is that uh, when China went into Venezuela, one of the things they did is they really revamped their oil processing and drilling and extraction and you know all that. Uh, and for they basically control like fifty percent of the stock of the national oil drilling and and fuel economy over there. They, they control a controlling interest of it. Um, so you're absolutely right, Lewis. They're very interested in that natural resource. And they're doing this all over the place. So yeah. going in, they're, they're giving out loans, everything, payment terms are very reasonable. And then suddenly things go sideways and they call and collect. And the way they collect is to take over whatever it is their loans went to build. And by the way, that I, I have a suspicion, my conspiracy theory, that the reason why all the oil companies in Venezuela were nationalized was uh, to, in order to give China that position. So it's, I don't know if it was necessarily to give China that position. I think it only was, but, it, it was it was a short term cash grab yeah. uh, for by the government of uh, where we're sure. tired of America having controlling interests in our oil fields. So we're going we're going to take it all, but then, oh, we don't know how to operate it. Yeah. So let's make a let's make a deal with the Chinese. Well, you no, know, the Chinese were there before that, just on the timeline. But whatever the case, I mean, I don't know any. What of this do you stuff. think? Because I mean, they they just came out, um, and apparently they have found the the technology has now been developed, and you know, obviously this is like a decade down the road, but is it really? Um, the technology to extract hydrogen from mm. these oil fields, and one of the primary sources is Venezuela. Yeah, uh, the the technology is Canadian. Uh, it's a breakthrough technology. It's going to take twenty years to mature, and then probably another twenty years to get down to our gas stations. But uh, you know that's going to mean very good news for Venezuela long down the road. Doesn't really help China very much because. You know they don't have it. Well, I'm just curious about the the political plays that could happen there. Um, well, I don't want to get too far away from the, from the topic. So, but I mean that's yeah, that's a that's a good example about how America is breaking through new frontiers 
without taking stuff away from other people. We're just yeah. breaking through uh, everything else. Uh, I know we're kind of waiting around to see if Alan can connect us to uh, to his friend, but I'm not seeing anything on the uh, on the lines. Yeah, and we're he, he asked me in a group here. message. Um, Greg, why don't you call. why don't you go to some comments and then you can ask us your question. We'll give we, you our three answers, then we'll wrap this up. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if we have much comments, um, which is really interesting. And I'm not applying. Any <laughs> we do, more. but China took them. <laughs> I'm not applying. Um, yeah, it looks like. Uh, China might have hit our YouTube. Um, well, I noticed that as soon as I put the the title of Hong Kong, like free Hong Kong, I got demonetized instantly before going live. Wow. Isn't I wonder a- why that is. Yeah. And so, like, I hate to jump into these kind of conspiracy tor- tor- territories, but this is some of our lowest viewership. We always get decent viewership and a lot of, like, uh, our regulars that always come in and comment. Um, like we have none of that this evening. I find that very interesting. Oh. Um, and it could just wow. be that hey, it's it's that Friday. The weather's that, nice and it's summer you know, and people are having. Fun. It could be yeah. just that, you know. Yeah. So I don't want to delve too much into that. But yeah, I really don't have many comments. But I did. I was hoping to get Alan back on with Michael Yan because I'd love to get his insight into this stuff since he's actually on the ground there and in hong kong let's let's go ahead and plan for us a, a part two and we'll yeah, get to i think that's again. i think that's fair and if alan wants to join us in the after party and discuss it um or if michael yon the only time he can talk is today and he comes on like 30 minutes from now we'll just go live you know we'll, it, yeah, we'll, it back and we'll load it back up and then we'll have it so you guys can view it um so i just i just want to take it around i'm not i don't really have i'm probably the dumbest person on this whole subject so I'll just take it around for closing arguments from you guys, and then we'll uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Um, so we'll go over to Lewis first, then Dustin, then Josh. So Lewis, uh, what do you have to say, you white devil? <laughs> um, it's it's really dicey, and it can go any which way. But I don't think there's any return to status quo. The your average Hong Konger basically wants things to things to continue as they were. But those that remember the the British control of the area, they they're dying off. They're that they, they got out. Uh, so it's 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 a natural progression it's it's 22 it's 22 years since the the handover so that that's a generation and all i can say is that i i really hope that those that can have an exit strategy because there is going to be a crackdown and there is going to be hell to pay uh at the end of this yeah but if it ends up failing for damn sure. Yeah. Dustin. All right. I'm going to use the voice of the everyman here, and I'm pretty sure that I'm as close to a regular human being as humanly possible that's, with this particular that's not group. That's true. You're Mexican. Oh! Anyway, uh, <laughs> so like, anyway, as far as most Americans are concerned, like I, like most Americans, learned our, our education about Hong Kong from the movie Rush Hour. 
There is nothing <laughs> that we knew about this particular region of the world all the way up until Chris Tucker got involved. Now it's a scenario where one of the most powerful nuclear powers in the world is having trouble with this group of people in a tiny sliver of their own nation. And this is one of the big problems that they're going to have to deal with in order to secure their place in the future. Right now, we're sitting in the midst of a Pax Americana, all right, which could turn into a Pax Sino in like a second. But they have a problem. They have a city within their own limits that doesn't want to deal with their crap anymore. It's having it's it's to this point waving the Union Jack and Old Glory, begging for somebody else to provide them. The, the thing that they desire the most, which is the freedom to choose to do the things that they want to do, to be able to just get fat and watch television like the rest of the world should be allowed to do, and China just doesn't want them to do it. China is fighting against it, and it is the, this is the struggle that makes or breaks their country. They know it too, and the thing about it that makes it oh so sweet is that if they do the thing that they've always done, which is to bring in the military and start cracking down on all these people, they know that the whole thing comes apart. And if all China has to offer is a totalitarian future with no freedom whatsoever, they know that they're going to lose the long game. And the long game is the most important game. And that long game also includes, fortunately or unfortunately for the listeners of this program, Donald Trump. So you need to understand right now, this is the pivotal moment for the, for the nation of China. And for us, it's merely Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, wow, if only we could have ended on that. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> All right, so I'll, I'll say this. Uh, if you ever doubted the culture war here in America and its importance to the future of our country, one need only look at this example that is unfolding being, you know, before our eyes. The fact that a single city and the surrounding area, basically a large metropolitan area, has the audacity to challenge uh, the rest of their mother country, which is infinitely bigger and more populous and has a real military and so forth, these people are courageous and they have the same kind of um, sparkly foolishness that convinced a bunch of colonials to take on the mother country here in America. Uh, your culture is more important than race. It's more important than uh, your nationality. It's really your culture is, is, is a huge component that drives your actions. Uh, so never forget that, America, because that's very, very this is this is what we're seeing here. It can turn mice uh, around and have them really bite back at the cat. In terms of the actual situation, 10 years ago, China was embracing Western civilization. They, now, they were doing it because they were making a ton of money off of us, and that was not cool. But uh, they were very diplomatically friendly. Uh, they, did, they stole our technology, and, and then they smiled about it. But um, the Chinese, although they are a venerable people, and they have a great deal of, of community, work ethic, lots of great qualities, I'm not going to go and say that they're terribly good at being sneaky. Uh, they're very good at being stubborn, but not sneaky. Covert operations, Chinese covert operations. I'm not seeing a lot of. I'm not seeing a lot of success in this because we know all about them. We're catching them at all this stuff. Yeah, it's like Steve Buscemi coming back to high school. Yeah, <laughs> they they are basically doing it by they're going to have to brutally crack down on their people. The, for the last ten years, they've been doing it on the mainland. Uh, the social point system, the lack of access to the internet, the reconstruction of Soviet-era style 
uh, monuments and uh, you know the the their school system. If you think ours is indoctrinated, every day the the kids get up from their desk, go to the back and write how the glorious leader has made their lives better, or why China is so awesome. All these things, um, and why the Communist Party is so awesome. So China is a very interesting place, um, and one of the things that I think is that they have as as much of this communism we see this expressed. Um, the, the bottom line is, is that this all only has to be there because there is a Chinese, let's call it a, a Chinese appetite for freedom. So, um, you know, you don't need to, to be so deliberately cracking down on a people unless they're willing to stand up. So I think that one of the things that China could come out of this, there's a happy ending for this for China, if they will embrace freedom, if they will start disempowering the communist state, they could rise up, be a friendly capitalist nation, uh, the likes of which, you know, Britain and until recently Germany have been. They have a lot to win here. It's because they have decided to, to trap communism all around them and then try to carry that and, and push it into the world that things are going to go sour for them. And unfortunately, one of the casualties, they might be Hong Kong. Mm, yeah. Um, well, I mean, they're like the last bastion of communism. So that, you know, the hubris that's involved there, I think, plays a major role. Um, but hey, I said I was going to do closing comments, so I'm not not going to do it. Everybody, thank you for joining. The few of you that are watching because we're already being shut down by China. Who controls the Sino Facebook. YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've already come for yeah, us. We already got some Chinese propaganda in our comments. Propaganda. Hmm. All Everybody, right. let's raise our glasses for our final Yamas. In vino veritas, everybody. In vino veritas. In vino veritas. <laughs> John Miller's Tenement Square, 1989. <laughs> <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. Uh, magic is real. Uh, <laughs> Obsession with StarCraft. Like, I should have just started rattling off all the things that would get us censored in China. 